For those that are here in the auditorium, as well as those watching online, turn your Bibles for the final time in this series, the book of Romans chapter 16, and we'll be looking at the last three verses this morning. Romans chapter 16, verses 25 through 27. What an appropriate passage of scripture for this morning, appropriate passage of scripture for any time, but certainly for this morning, the idea of praising God. Paul is going to end where he began, and he's going to give for us a doxology, a bursting forth, laying pen to paper or quill to parchment, to share with us the glories of who God is and what he has done. You find this in the writings of Paul. He's already done it at least once in this letter. He gets to the end of chapter 11, and it's almost like the buildup is just immense, and it's just building up and building up as he recounts all that God is and all that God has done, and he just cannot help it. And he bursts forth with a doxology, and he does the same thing here for us in chapter 16, verses 25 through 27. Before we dive into the text, however, you may notice in your Bible that we ended off last week in verse 23, and we somehow magically have moved to verse 25. Uh, I'm not a mathematician, but we seem to be missing a number. 24 seems to be gone, and maybe in your English translation it's there in brackets. Maybe there's a, a footnote, explanatory note. But just to let you know, we haven't lost any of the Bible. Verse 24 is essentially the same as the end of verse 20. So if you go to verse 20... Verse 24 reads in the original text, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Which is essentially the same as verse 20, which says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Most scholars believe that an overeager scribe added in verse 24, copying from verse 20 to close off the section after the greetings. But since we already have it there in verse 20, Nothing is lost, and so although in your passage, in your Bible, it may go from verse 23 to 25, nothing is missing there. So what has happened? Paul's written this whole letter. He has wrapped it up with a warning. He's handed the quill, so to speak, or it's probably already in Tertius's hand. Tertius sends greetings from the guys who are immediately there with Paul in Corinth as he writes to the church in Rome. Paul then takes back up the writing and ends with this doxology. And he does this for a number of reasons. He first of all does it certainly to praise God, which is absolutely justified and appropriate. But he also does this to put a stamp of authenticity on this letter so that other letters that may bear his name that are uh, false or uh, things like that will not be mistaken for his letters. And if you note this afternoon, you can go and look at the end of 2 Thessalonians. He says that this is why I end this way so that you'll know this is from me. And so as a stamp of authenticity that is actually from the Apostle Paul and as a means to praise God for all that he is and all that he has done, Paul picks up the quill, so to speak, again from Tertius or dictates more to Tertius, and we have this section before us this morning. And based on how we have sung and seen the baptisms and all these things, what an appropriate passage of Scripture. So follow along with me, if you would, Romans 16, 25 through 27. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God 
be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. This is God's word. Verses 25 and 26 are a single sentence in both the original language and Greek as well as in English. And there is much packed in here. I'm going to do my best in the time that I have left to unpack a number of things for you. But I find in verses 25 and 26 that we are praising God for his gracious sovereignty. Paul knows who he's writing to, perhaps not personally, as we have mentioned. Paul has not physically been to Rome. He has not spent time in person with the believers in Rome. He knows some of them through friends, Prisca and Aquila and others. He knows some of them by name and reputation, as he has mentioned in the first part of chapter 16. But he knows a little bit about the church. He certainly knows that their obedience to the gospel is well known to all, but he also knows that they're in the unique position of displaying unity in the midst of almost impossible diversity. Jews have been expelled from the city of Rome in AD 49 under Emperor Claudius, only recently in AD 54 been allowed back into the city of Rome under Emperor Nero. And Paul writes in AD 57, only three years after Jews had returned. So the church that had been a mix of Jew and Gentile, no doubt started in the Jewish quarters amongst Jews and spread to Gentiles, now for a period of time was exclusively Gentile, now Jews are coming back in. And the interplay with that is cause for Paul to write this letter to the church at Rome and to explain to them yet again the gospel, this bedrock reality, this truth that we are great sinners, but there is a great Savior, Jesus Christ the righteous. So that their unity is not based on ethnicity or culture or tradition, but their unity is based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so let's dive in as we praise God then for his gracious sovereignty. In the first place, he alone is the one who gives strength. Now to him who is able to strengthen you. This all starts and continues and is completed by God and God alone. None of this, none of what we have witnessed this morning, none of anything in life is up to us, is about us, is to our praise and our glory. To the degree that we give ourselves glory, we steal from God. None of this is about us, it is all about him. He is the one that is able to strengthen. And may I remind you again something that we've said throughout our look at the book of Romans, but we must, must, must always read the indicatives of Scripture before the imperatives. In other words, we must soak in, marinate in, spend time in the truths of God's Word before we read and obey the commands of God's Word. Paul spends 11 chapters on the indicatives, 11 chapters on the truth of the gospel. That no matter whether you're Jew or Gentile, you are an equal sinner in the eyes of a thrice holy God. Jews do not have a leg up because of their heritage or because of any keeping of any laws. Gentiles do not have any kind of a leg up over the Jews. We are all equally sinners before God. And the only solution is God, through Jesus Christ, by his Holy Spirit. He walks through all of what that looks like, and we have unpacked it over this year. It's hard to believe that we only started this in January, and here we are finishing up. But all of these truths, and we can go back and rewatch those sermons, but all of these truths are here, and he spent all the time on the truth. It is only until he gets to chapter 12 that he starts on the imperatives, and even before he starts on any imperatives, he adds more indicatives in 12, 1 and 2. The truth of God's word must always be present before we read and attempt to obey the commands of God's word. 
Paul is not writing to the Romans and consigning them to despair by telling them, hey guys, get your act together and stop fighting. We have tried. Oh, we have tried. We have tried to obey the commands of God. We've tried to be better people. We've tried to be good. Typically good based on our definition of what good is. And we've tried so hard, we've added stuff that's not even in the Bible. That's how hard we've tried. And may I ask you this morning this very honest question, and where has that gotten any of us? Nowhere. Because the only hope we have is not in us. We are the problem, but we are not the solution. The only solution is Jesus Christ the righteous. And so Paul says to the church at Rome, God is the one who strengthens. All glory to him. Do not look at this call to unity to come from somewhere deep inside of you where you're going to be able to put off your prejudices, put off your history, put off your hurts and your suffering and pain, and magically start loving people that previously you hated. The only reason that you're here this morning is because of God. And if you believe in him this morning, the only reason you do that is because of him. If you have any desire for him and for his word and for his people, any desire to pray or praise his name, all of that comes from him and him alone, all glory to him and his name. And that leads us then into the second part of verse 25. He alone can save. He alone gives strength and he alone can save. According to my gospel, not that it's Paul's gospel, the gospel that Paul preaches and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Our only solution is Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ the righteous, who lived the righteous life that we should live and can't and won't and don't want to. Jesus Christ the righteous, who hung on that cross and bore the just wrath against sin on our behalf. Jesus Christ the righteous on that Sunday morning, those thousands of years ago, who walked out of that grave, conquering sin and death. Only Jesus Christ can save. To the degree that we believe it had anything to do with us, amen, we take away from the grace of God and Jesus Christ. Grace is so amazing because we're so sinful. And so Paul says again, only God can save, not us. Number three, he has a perfect plan according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. We could ask the question, why did it take thousands of years for Christ to appear? Galatians 4.4, 4. but when the time was just right, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why did Christ not come earlier? We could also maybe perhaps ask the question, God, Jesus Christ has been here and gone. He's in the heaven advocating for us at the right hand of the Father. Why has he not come back yet? It'd be great if he came back like right now. Why is God doing the things that he's doing in the way in which he's doing them? And in all of these things, we have to recognize that God's plan is always perfect. And as John Piper has said, even in our own lives, at any given moment, there's thousands upon thousands of things going on, and we're vaguely aware of three of them. We are finite and sinful, God is infinite and he is perfect. And he has a plan and we must trust his plan and that plan is exactly as it ought to be. Everything in our lives because it comes from the hand of God has meaning and purpose and significance. There is nothing wasted and there are no mistakes because our God is in the heavenlies and he does as he pleases. And so we thank him that he has a perfect plan and we're gonna see a little bit of that next year as we start the book of Leviticus. Praise God for the book of Leviticus, and I hope we can still say that this time next year. 
Notice in the fourth place, he always keeps his promise. Verse 26, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations. But now his promises have been revealed and find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. All the promises, promises to Adam, promises to Noah, promises to Abraham, promises to Moses, promises to David, promises to the nation of Israel in Jeremiah 31, all these promises and more, over 300 of them, they all find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And so Paul is writing at a time at the crossroads of history. He's there when Jesus Christ has come. The Messiah is here. And all of these promises that we've read in the Old Testament and the nation of Israel have been looking for, all of them are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God, our God is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. And he has made promises to his children. For those that were baptized this morning and all of us here this morning that are his, he has promised that he, is, that he has saved you, justified you, made you righteous before his Father. That you have been declared as righteous as Jesus Christ the Son by the Holy Spirit. He has made the promise that he is sanctifying you. It is true that God loves us unconditionally, and it's true that God loves us as we are, but it is not true that he, does, that he leaves us there. God loves us so much that he works in us to transform us into who he is, to be more like him. His love takes us from where we're at and brings us to him. And he also promises in his word that he who has begun a good work in you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. He will hold us fast and he will bring us all the way home. And all of these promises that God has made, he always keeps. Notice that in the fifth place, his grace is for all the nations. These things have been made known to all nations. This is a hard pill for the Jews to swallow. Are you telling me that all the promises of God that were given to us are actually open and available for everyone? And the answer is a resounding yes. It has nothing to do with how long you've been here at Grace Baptist Church, how much money you give to Grace Baptist Church, whether you have a family legacy here at Grace Baptist Church, anyone who has recently joined Grace Baptist Church within the last week is equally a member and a part of the family of, of God here at Grace Baptist Church and somebody who's been here 40, 50, 60 years. It's not about those things. It's about Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus tells a parable in the New Testament that a man goes down to the city market to find workers to harvest his fields. And he goes down there in the morning and gets workers. He goes down hourly throughout the day and gets new workers to come into the harvest field. And all of them are paid the same. And at the end of the day, the workers that started out the day look at the workers that only work for an hour and say, why do they get the same as we do? And the answer is because all of them did only what they were doing through the power of God through Jesus Christ. And it's not about how many who was working the longest. It's about God who is at work. So from somebody who on their deathbed professes faith in Jesus Christ and is gloriously saved after a life of sin to someone who was saved at four, five, six years old and lives a life for God's glory for most of their life, they're equally a part of the family of God, equally recipients of God's grace, and to him goes all the glory. Notice, he is sovereign over all, verse 26c. According to the command of the eternal God, all things under the sovereign hand of God. And as Abraham Kuyper said, there is not a single stray molecule in the universe. There is not a molecule in the universe over which Jesus Christ does not declare, that's mine. All is under the command of the thrice holy God. Notice that he is also eternal to the command of the eternal God. Thank God for his eternality. God always has been and always will be. And we are here in a small slice of time. And yet we have one who is over all, working all things according to the counsel of his own will. He will change us into his image to bring about the obedience of faith. God's not done with you yet, and thank God he's not done with me yet. He has a goal in mind. He created you, 
And if you are in Jesus Christ here this morning by repentance through faith, he is recreating you into the image of his son. That is a work that he has begun in you and he will complete it. Notice that he will hold us fast in verse 26f. To, but to bring about the obedience of faith, not to him who is able to strengthen you. It is God who will hold us fast as we have sung. Thanks be to God that even on those days when I have unbelief and disbelief, when I have moments where I struggle and we all struggle, and even in those times and those moments, God is there holding us fast and he will not let us go. He has brought us to himself and he is hanging on to us. And in John 10, we find ourselves in Jesus' hands and in God the Father's hands. And those are unbreakable hands. We cannot be taken out of them. And then lastly, he will bring us all the way home to bring about the obedience of faith. God has done a work. If you are his here this morning and he is going to complete that work in Jesus Christ. And one day we will stand before him and we will be like him for we will see him as he is. All of these things and so much more, <laughs> praise God is praising God for his gracious sovereignty. All of that in two verses, and I didn't even get to it all. And now we get into verse 27. Praise God for his holy character. Notice 27a, to the only wise God. God is wisdom. At a time in human history, especially in our nation and in the Western world, where so much vies for our attention and so much masquerades as truth, the reality is God alone is wisdom. And he is truth. Therefore, what is true and real must be compared to him to determine whether or not, in fact, it is true and real. God alone is wisdom. Wisdom is not to be found in ideologies. Wisdom is not to be found in the realization of the self. Wisdom is not to be found in us doing whatever we want to do. Wisdom is to be found in the one who is wisdom, God the righteous. He has given us his wisdom and truth in his word and in the, pres and in the person of Jesus Christ the righteous. He alone then is worthy of worship. To God be glory. We have said a lot of things that might seem hyperbolic in song this morning, but they are not because of the recipient of that praise. God indeed is all glorious and worthy of all praise. And he will be praised forever. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. This praise that has begun will not cease. It will go on forever. And around the throne of God, we have all those from every tribe, tongue, kindred, and nation saying glory to God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This praise will resound forevermore. And notice then the last place. Praise originates in and flows out of the gospel through Jesus Christ. All of this comes about because of Jesus Christ the one who is righteous for us, the one who died for us, and the one who lives for us and intercedes for us. All of this is because of him. Go in your Bibles quickly, if you would, back to Romans chapter 1, all the way back to the beginning. We're going to end where we began in January of this year. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Note, if you would, as you read through it, the sheer amount of similarities between 1, 1 to 7, and 16, 25 to 27. It is fascinating that Paul bookends his letter with this doxology of praise to God. He deserves all the glory because he is the one who has done all the work. Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which was promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, 
through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Take some time if you would and mark down the similarities between 16, 25 to 27 and Romans 1, 1 to 7. Paul ends where he began in this amazing letter of solid theological bedrock truth. You will not find a better treatment of the gospel anywhere in the New Testament. You will also not find a book that better praises God than this book. It has been a privilege to work through this. And as we close, I wanted to close with the words of William Tyndale. William Tyndale, in his prologue to the book of Romans in the 1534 edition of the English New Testament, says this, For as much as this epistle is the principal and most excellent part of the New Testament and most pure gospel, and also a light and a way in unto the whole scripture, I think it meet or suitable that every Christian man not only know it by rote or memory, but also exercise himself therein evermore continually as with the daily bread of the soul. No man verily can read it too oft or study it too well. For the more it is studied, the easier it is, and the more it is searched, the more precious things are found in it. So great treasure of spiritual things lieth hid therein. This is the book of Romans, the letter to the Romans, and it is a praise to God, for he alone is the one who does all things. Let's look to him in prayer this morning. Father, we come before you, and I pray we come in humility, because you alone are worthy of all of our praise. Father, you are the only one who can change a human heart. You are the only one that can make us be who you created us to be. Father, it is said, or at least the messaging is, that in our culture we want to be tolerant and we want to be loving and we want to be accepting and we want to be kind and patient as we have been reminded numerous times. And yet, Father, we know if we have moments of raw honesty that that is not possible for us to manufacture from within. There is no light within. There is no goodness within us. We are rotten all the way down through and into the core. And when we are pressure, it is very evident who we actually are because it comes out very quickly. And so, Father, we know, if we are honest, that we are the problem. But thanks be to you, Father, that there is a solution. And you are that solution. And Jesus Christ, the righteous, has come to live righteously and to die sacrificially and to rise again from the dead victoriously. Father, this is the message. It has not changed it is still the only hope for mankind, and you are still transforming lives thereby. And we thank you for that this morning. And Father, we want to give you all the praise and all the honor and all the glory for your gracious sovereignty, that you are overall the only wise God. And Father, also for your holy character. You are wisdom. You are truth. You are justice. You are love. You are righteousness, you are holiness, you are grace and mercy and compassion and gentleness and kindness and goodness, these things and so much more. And you call us to that. And Father, the only way forward, as has been testified to even earlier on this morning, is to repent of our sinfulness, our feeble attempts, Father, and to simply come in humility and bow before you and say, as one said so long ago, and the story told by Jesus Christ, your son, while he was here on earth, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. We pray that for everyone here this morning and those watching online, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.